Life after Last Chance You. And welcome to our special segment. I call it Fanfare. It's all about you, the fans and listeners of Life After Last Chance You. We take your questions via email, which you can always send us at jcradiosports at hotmail.com. So be sure to keep them coming. Our first question comes from Terry R. in Des Moines, Iowa. Terry asks, did the show or the characters in the show have any say-so on what was going to be included in the final cut of Last Chance You? Terry, no. I know personally I had no say-so over what was going to be used. We all sign waiver agreements uh, way before the filming even starts. Uh, anything that you see in the shows, those are basically what the producers are putting together for the storyline. So the characters and the cast, we have no say-so over what's being shown or said in the show. That's what's the beauty of it. That's reality TV. That's what the fans tune in for. That's what makes Last Chance You the most watched docuseries show on Netflix. Our next question comes from Richard M. in Portland, Oregon. Richard says, What was it like seeing and hearing yourself on a show that's hugely popular and seen all over the world? Was it weird to see your hometown on TV? Well, Richard, as far as seeing myself and hearing myself on the show, seeing myself was definitely a little surreal. You know, I really don't have a lot of TV background history myself. Uh, as far as the radio aspect of it and hearing my voice, it was really no different than uh, any of my other broadcasts. But seeing myself on the TV show and then uh, seeing the incredible cinematography that the Last Chance You crew and producers put together, you know, it was really a very much an eye-opening experience for me. And I really appreciate their professionalism on how they put that together and, and giving me a chance to be a part of it. You know, that was a huge benefit for me. As far as seeing my hometown of Independence, Kansas on TV, yeah, that was pretty weird. I got to admit, uh, seeing, you know, it from the camera lens on the big screen, that was something that, uh, you know, caught me off guard. Uh, I know there's some of the things they showed it. I really wasn't aware they're even around <laughs> Independence, but I'm sure they're out there somewhere because that's where they did all the filming. But, you know, that's the thing. You know, that the beauty of it is, is the camera's eye picks up a lot of things that we either take for granted every day or we just don't pay that much attention to for whatever the reason. 
but when you see it on the big screen in the camera's eye, it really brings it to life, and that was really a cool thing. Our third question comes from Coach Kevin D. in Lakin, Kansas. Kevin asks, what do you think that Garden City coach Jeff Sims thought of himself after last season's game against Indy? I thought he looked pretty immature on how he started things during the game. What do you think? Well, Coach Kevin, I think if Coach Sims of Garden City had a chance to do it all over again, I'm sure he would take a gimme and, and try it all over because I don't think he really portrayed himself the way he wanted to, looking back and seeing it on the TV show. But the reality is, as you know, being a coach, in the heat of battle, emotions run high. A lot of times things are said. Sometimes your actions take over when you least expect it. And I think Coach Sims got caught up in the moment and... It was just a very emotional game. It was a very exciting game. Garden City fell behind by three touchdowns in the first half to Independence. And I think Coach Sims really was trying to find a way to light a fire under his team. But I'm pretty sure he would probably like to do it over again on some of the antics that he had on the sidelines. Uh, after the game, you know, the scuffle between the two teams, nobody really knows exactly what instigated that. I'm sure there was a lot of trash talking going on. But the truth of the matter is, it's a competitive game, as you know. And it's something that I think what makes football probably the greatest game on the planet. Because where else can you go out and smash into another individual and it's legal to get away with it? The Water's Edge Campground. Located between Joplin and Neosho, just off Highway 71 in Tipton Ford, Missouri. Come enjoy the waterous adventures of Crystal Clear Shoal Creek. Featuring canoeing, rafting, tubing, kayaking, swimming, and of course, fishing. And for you land lovers, we offer good old-fashioned games of volleyball and horseshoes with your family and newfound friends, all on our wholesome 43-acre campground featuring RV and primitive tent camping sites. All this and more await you at the Water's Edge Campground in Tipton Ford, where we are biker-friendly to friendly bikers. So come on in. The water's fine. Not responsible for injuries or lost items during trips on Shoal Creek. Next up, it's from Cody M. in Louisville, Kentucky. Cody's got three questions here, so we'll try to answer them all. What was life like in Independence before and after the Last Chance You show? Well, Cody, before, life in Independence is pretty much like any other small town of under 10,000 people in the United States. You know, very normal activities for the most part. Uh, you know, unfortunately, like a lot of small towns, economic depression has set in to a certain degree, and each small town is fighting to, to stay alive and stay relevant. Uh, Independence has been fairly fortunate, I think, for the most part over the years, but, you know, we're certainly feeling the crunch of the economy just like every other small town. But folks come and go and do their jobs, and, you know, it's, it's pretty much a normal atmosphere prior to the cameras. 
Now, when Last Chance You arrived and started filming in Independence in 2017, I think the one thing that might have changed within the town itself was just the hype and the anticipation of it. Because once everybody realized that Last Chance You was actually going to film season three in 2017, everybody, of course, knew of the show from watching it from the first two seasons. But when the cameras actually came downtown and they were out on the campus of Independence Community College and they were at all these different places of business and independence, I think that's when it really started to set in and it became reality. And I think some people certainly embraced it, which they should have. I think it was a great opportunity for independence as a town. I think there are some other people, for whatever the reason, were really against it. And I still, to this day, don't really understand that. But I think sometimes if you're not a part of something, you feel left out and you automatically just put up a defense against it. And, and I think that could have been a possibility of it. But for the most part, people in independence were receptive to the cameras. And uh, I think they realized what a great opportunity it really was. Cody's second question is, were there any behind-the-scenes things that happened that the Last Chance You cameras did not show? Well, I'm sure there was a lot of things, Cody. I didn't witness everything, of course, that happened throughout the two seasons of Last Chance You. Some of the things that I really thought should have been included were scenes from our weekends after the football games at Coach Brown's house. You know, we had backyard barbecues, uh, friends, fans within the Pirate Nation that were close to Coach Brown and in our inner circle, they would come over. People would bring food. We'd, of course, cook out, you know, and just have a great time in the backyard. And it was an all-day event. After the party ended, you know, Coach would get together all the leftovers and, you know, basically send them back with the assistant coaches to the Independence Community College campus and to the dorms for the players, you know, to partake in it. So I think that part would have been something that would have been nice to have that highlighted and it might be just a little simple something that goes on everywhere all over America, but it was not something that was included in the footage of Last Chance You in either season. And it would have been cool to have that because I think that sheds a different light, not just on Coach Brown as showing you know how compassionate he really is as a person, but it also sheds new light on the school and the football program as well. Because even though the language is tough in Last Chance You, the reality is there's a lot of really good things that go on that go unnoticed. And Cody's third question is, and are there any stories you can share involving Coach Brown? Because he is always an interesting person. <laughs> yes, he is, Cody. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, there's a lot of stories. I mean, I certainly can't go into too many of them just for time restraint reasons, but I think the one that kind of sticks out to me that's fairly humorous is we were coming back from a speaking engagement that Coach Brown did uh, on the campus of the University of Kansas in Lawrence, which is a little over two-hour drive from Independence. And on the way home, uh, we had just exited off of the interstate and uh, we're driving through the town of Burlington, Kansas. And, you know, Coach Brown likes to drive fast. That's how they drive in California. It's pretty much 90 or nothing. And so we're kind of speeding down the highway, which was on Highway 75, 
And I'd mentioned to Coach Brown, I was like, now you got to kind of watch your speed around here because this area of the state, it, it's known to have quite a few highway patrol cars, and some of them are unmarked. So just bear that in mind. He's like, yeah, yeah, no problem, man, no problem. He goes, I'm not speeding. I just kind of glanced over it at the speedometer, and I couldn't really see it clearly, but we were going well over 80. I know that. Anyway, we're driving along just a couple minutes later, and a white SUV passes us going the other direction. It was unmarked, and I just had a funny feeling about it as it went by us. I looked in the passenger rearview mirror, and sure enough, it flips a U-turn up on the hill. Pretty soon, red and blue flashing lights are going off in the grill of the SUV as it comes up behind us at a high rate of speed. And I look over at JB and I was like, um, I think you got a highway patrol on your tail. And he looks at me and he goes, you got to be kidding. I was like, no, man, seriously. Coach pulls over. The highway patrolman gets out of his car, comes up to Coach Brown's side of the car, and he says... Um, can I see your license registration, all the normal stuff? And so coach is pulling that out. And the guy goes, do you know why I'm pulling you over? And coach says, no, oh, I don't know why. And the guy goes, well, do you know how fast you were going? And JB answers, ah, not very fast. And the guy says, well, you were going 92. And JB goes, 92? He goes, that seems kind of fast. And the highway patrolman says, that's the reason I pulled you over, sir. I couldn't help but start laughing. You know how it is. Sometimes things hit you in a funny way at very inopportune moments. That was not a good time to start busting out laughing. The highway patrolman bent down on the driver's side, looked through the window at me. I couldn't stop laughing because it just struck me absolutely hilariously funny. JB looks at me and kind of rolls his eyes and looks up into the sky with that uh, patented look that he gives me from time to time. He ends up getting a ticket. But anyhow, that's the one story that I remember that, you know, I thought was pretty humorous. At least it was to me. I'm not sure anybody else thought it was. The next question comes from Mitch in Sacramento, California. Mitch says, I'm planning on going into radio broadcasting and wondered if you could share with me some tips of advice and what got you interested in radio. Honestly, how I got into radio is very unconventional. I don't have any professional training. I didn't go to college. I didn't get a degree. I really never even worked at a radio station like a lot of people do. They learn it from the ground floor up and then gradually move into being, a, you know, a broadcaster or a DJ or online person that has a, you know, a live show, a call-in show. I didn't do any of that stuff. So my ways are very unconventional, but what I can tell you that's helped me is I record everything that I do broadcast-wise, and I listen to it. And the main reason I do that is I want to know how I sound I want to listen to the things that I like, and I'll remember them, and I use them in the future for delivery. The things I don't like, I change. And that's what helps me the most, because I want to develop my own style. 
I do not want to be recognized as a guy that, oh, he sounds just like so-and-so, or he reminds me a lot of this guy. And I want to be my own individual. I want to have my own unique style of delivery and broadcasting. And that's what I've really tried to do over the years. So I think the main thing is that I can tell you is record what you broadcast. A lot of times I will fake broadcast in the car driving to work. I know it sounds crazy, but I will. I'll visualize a game that's going on in front of me, and I'll just start doing play-by-play. That helps me just simply do things on the fly. You know, all of the stuff that I do on the air, there is nothing that's choreographed or pre-planned or anything like that. I have stats and so forth, but the truth of the matter is I just wing it. It works better for me. If I'm structured with an outline and I have to go step by step and everything is pretty much black and white, I'm very uptight and it doesn't work well for me. That's what I can tell you is record what you broadcast, listen to it, learn from it, and then I think it's going to help you a lot down the road just listening to how your delivery is. Because a lot of times we don't know really what we sound like, you know, day after day. We may have a great broadcast one night, and we may have not a very good one the next time out. So you need to listen to all of them, and you need to find out what really works best for you. And as far as how I got interested into radio, it was kind of on a dare from some friends. You know, they kept telling me, you need to go down to the radio station and be the play-by-play guy for the local high school and junior college sports programs and independents. I kept blowing them off. I said, nah, no. Finally, finally I got tired of them, you know, giving me a hard time about it. I went down to the radio station and uh, told the general manager, you know, I'd like to be the play-by-play guy. The general manager was a lady named Patty McCormick, and she just asked me point blank, do you have any radio experience of doing this? And I said, no, absolutely none, which I think really impressed her, obviously. But nonetheless, she was kind enough to give me an opportunity and said, go home tonight and record the game that's on TV, because there was a game shown on TV, I think it was a Kansas University game, and record it in your style bring it back to me tomorrow morning, and I'll listen to it. So I did that, took it into her, and didn't realize she was going to listen to it right in front of me, but she did, and not the entire game, but a good portion of it. And she was evidently impressed enough to give me an opportunity to start doing play-by-play broadcasting a week later. So that's kind of how it started for me. Again, very unconventional, uh, but that's kind of type of guy I am. I don't do things by the book, you know, so... When people say, you know, there's a perfect blueprint for everything you do, I've yet to find it. This has been a presentation of JC Radio Sports.